United Lutheran Seminary presents the Seminary Explores podcast, conversations on faith, art, people, politics, theology, life, and more, with voices from around the corner and around the globe. Welcome to the Seminary Explores. I'm Katie Giebenhain. My guest is Reverend Eric Schaefer, Senior Pastor of Mount Olive Lutheran Church in Santa Monica, California. Later this spring, he will retire from a long arc of ministries, which, in addition to leading congregations, has included roles as Senior Vice President at the Interfaith Odyssey Networks, as Director of Communication for the ELCA, and as Assistant to the Bishop of the ELCA's Northeastern Pennsylvania Synod. An ordained pastor in the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America, He is a graduate of Muhlenberg College and Hama School of Theology, now part of Trinity Lutheran Seminary at Capital University. The most recent of his awards includes a 2021 Partnership Award from the Westside Coalition for Housing, Hunger, and Health in Santa Monica. He serves on the President's Council of Lutheran Immigration and Refugee Service is a member of the Santa Monica Bay Area Human Resource Human Relations Council and is a founder and board member of Students for Students Homeless Shelters. Reverend Schaefer, welcome to the Seminary Explorers. Thank you, Katie. It's good to be here with you. One thing that has been a kind of red thread throughout your varied roles is hospitality. From the parsonage in Lansdale to the Student Homeless Shelters in California, to the Religion Communicators Council Wilbur Awards for outstanding communication of religious issues, values, and themes in public secular media, to the philanthropy philanthropy and communication work in New York and Chicago, and many other settings. Hospitality has been fundamental, and I would say theological for you. Why is that? It is something that comes naturally for both me and my wife, Chris, I have to say. And and certainly, I was going to say in the congregations, but as you know, Katie, we actually practiced that in all of the calls that I had and all of the places we lived. It seems to me that at least we've tried to exemplify the hospitality that God has for all people in our little piece of it, in our small way, to try to be hospitable to people we know and also to be hospitable to people we don't even know. And that's how the the work with homeless college students certainly flows out of that that work too. Yeah, could you say a little bit about this project, um, the Students for Students? Certainly, it, it's a great story, Katie. Um, so shortly after I arrived here in Santa Monica, about six years ago now, uh, Darcy Niva, the executive director of the Westside Coalition for Housing, Hunger, and Health, who became a member of our congregation after this time, said, there's a young man I'd like you to meet. He has a story and a need. And I said, okay. So she introduced me to Lewis, and Lewis told me about his dream of opening a shelter for homeless college students at UCLA. At that point, Lewis was a graduate student, engineering student at UCLA, and He had been to many, many congregations looking for a place for this first shelter. Uh, As he tells the story, he had been at 50. 
well, that may be a bit of exaggeration. Oh my goodness! He he, he told he he'd been to many for sure, and he came to me and said, told me his dream, and frankly, we had the space. So my first reaction was, why not? Why wouldn't we do this? We had this balcony area of the parish hall that had once been a youth a, a youth center. It was now filled with frankly rat infested furniture and and was going to no use so we cleaned that out and worked with lewis and his two great friends luke and lauren who founded this shelter and we ended up then some six years ago founding the first shelter for homeless college students in the nation and only the second shelter for any homeless person run by students it's interesting that the first shelter for homeless people run by students it has is at the Lutheran Church in Cambridge, Massachusetts, ah. University Uni Lu, uh, where someone you know very well is pastor, the f- former uh, um, director of uh, development at at, uh, at at Gettysburg Seminary. Oh yeah, anyway, Kathleen. Yeah, K- Kathleen. Yeah. So anyway, um, it was a rocky road to get started. Uh, we initially had great support. Uh, from the neighborhood and from uh, city and county officials, not so much with some of the city bureaucrats. So we opened up, they closed us down. Uh, an angel appeared uh, named Michael, the, the angel Michael, <laughs> who was a local architect who said, I'm going to make sure this happens. He found a contractor who gave us $150,000 renovations so that we could meet the city's requirements. We opened up and have been open since. But the exciting thing is that this is a model that can be duplicated. And so the Bruin Shelter, Bruin being the mascot name of UCLA students, oh, right, Bruin of Shelter run by, run by UCLA students, um, be, became Students for Students, the overarching group. And we're now opening our fourth shelter in California. Uh, we've op- we opened the Trojan Shelter, serving U- uh, serving a, a staff by USC students uh, at an Episcopal church in downtown LA. Uh, this year, we opened the Aggie House at the University of California in Davis, and we have students ready to open the Slug Shelter. I gotta love that name, the Slug Shelter at the University of California at Santa Cruz. And we're already talking to students from Berkeley and from San Diego about opening shelters on their campuses. So what became a shelter uh, for 10 students is now sheltering, oh my, uh, if once COVID's over, we'll probably be sheltering close to 50 students and and it keeps growing. Um, The other thing that we were able to do is because we were the first shelter for homeless college students in the nation, we were able to get some amazing publicity. We've been featured in the New York Times, National Public Radio, PBS Nationally, and on CBS Sunday Morning. And what that meant was, that's wonderful, and you, you, you know I, I love to work with the, with the media on, on publicity for good things, but what it did was it told the nation about the issue of homeless college students, which most people knew, including me, knew nothing about. Mm. You know, when I came here eight years ago, I had no idea there was a major crisis in California and throughout the nation of homeless students on campus. And we, you know, I tell our volunteers, our student volunteers, that yes, they care for, they care for these students and they change their lives. But because of what they've done, they brought this issue in front of the whole nation. And so now there are 
shelters for homeless college students cropping up around the country. And that is because of the work that was started here. And we're excited about that. And it's just a wonderful thing. And, um, you know, and, you know, as as the students would tell you, too, they're not just changing the lives of the of the residents, they're changing their own lives. And if you want to, if you want to have your faith in, in the future renewed, just, just talk to our, our volunteer students who, who run this shelter in their spare time, almost all of whom are honor students. Many are graduate students and med students. And they just, they just do this because it's the right thing to do. And it's interesting how there's some, it defies certain stereotypes and expectations that we have. Of, it sure does. Uh, it sure yeah. does. I mean, all, all three of two of the three founders were engineers. And so you don't think of engineers as social service guys, the two got the two guys, yeah. you know, and, and it's all you're right. You could go one after another of things that defy expectations. Um, you know, um, it's just it's just amazing. Uh, you know, we like to say, you know, help us help us house these students. This could be your doctor. This could be your lawyer. <laughs> This could be your pastor who's in, the, in this shelter now. And so that's that's the exciting part of it, to just to see how, you know, we've changed lives, but we've changed lives of the of our residents, of our volunteers, and and we've had a we've had a, a bit of a chance to help change lives across the country. Well, and just the power of an example um, is something that can mean the difference between a shelter starting elsewhere or not, because even if someone else has the idea, the fact that it is it is happening and thriving um, really is the most encouraging thing possible when you have a concrete example like that, which is what you're pointing to with the with the media, right? Right, right, and and uh, you're absolutely right. I mean, and you know, it's it's a good news story no matter what. And uh, uh, but another consistent as you know well throughout my my entire career has been to find ways to use the secular media to tell the story of God's love for people. Yeah. And, you know, why was I involved in the Wilbur Awards with you and others? Why was I involved in this and that? Part of my work at the ELCA was certainly that, you know, uh, there are great stories to tell of, of, of people doing good in God's name of, of many faiths and uh, you know, and I've just been privileged to, to be able to tell some of them. Um, so, Katie, one of my favorite things happened, though I'm looking at it now on my shelf. So, our story uh, was on CBS Sunday Morning, and shortly afterward, Doonesbury—he's still writing Sunday Morning strips. Doonesbury did a strip on homeless college students. <gasps> now, I wonder where he got that oh, idea. Oh wow! from his wife <laughs> so i mean so from jane Pauley, of course so um you know I, I have that cartoon in my office saying you know looking at me now that you know it was a couple of months later and i thought that didn't just happen wow um, and, and that was kind of that was kind of fun and exciting uh, no question oh wow uh it's so great to hear about that and you know i was actually thinking of an interesting parallel with the wilbur awards too when you were talking about how it's not just, you know, the students in need of housing that this helps for the students for students example. Um, when 
someone receives recognition, you know, a writer or uh, someone who has done like a movie or, you know, video spot blogs, there are all these different categories for excellent um, work being produced in the secular media that takes on religious themes, in addition to just um, saying thank you and recognizing such great work, it also, I think, shows the people, the writers, or the you know the people who are doing this work, these these communicators. It shows them that their ideas of what it means to be a religious person <laughs> in the country are are also not always fitting into expectations. And I think that's that's just really great from the other side too. No question about that. Unfortunately, the image of Christianity and even Judaism, I think, is often a caricature. Yeah. And you know, to to be able to show images of Christians and Jews and others who are not a caricature but are carrying out their faith so so well in their daily lives. And, and helping people uh, is just amazing. I should add, you know, I'm, you and I are doing this off the cuff, but the other thing I tell our student leaders is, besides housing, besides exposing the world to this issue, the shelter here helps people get interested in homelessness who would never be interested in homelessness. Hmm. I call it, they can dip their toe into the issue. Homeless college students are not threatening. You know, so we so if through our work here, people get involved in homeless college student work that might or I can say I can say almost definitely that does then help them open up to think about the homeless person on the corner and the the mentally ill homeless person they see roaming the streets and maybe helping them to be a little more sensitive to that and to see what else they and others can do for those people too. So it's kind of a, it's, it's, a, it's a triple thing. You know, the students we serve, the issue we present, and the, and the issue of homelessness helping the, the, the world, the neighborhood, the city get involved more in the total issue of homelessness. Mm, definitely. You know, the recognition that you mentioned, I, I've been blessed, especially in the last couple of years, of receiving some amazing recognition. My picture was on the side of a of a of a LA bus. Yes, I, I love the bus example. <laughs> <laughs> I got a story. I got a story on that that's fun. But so but the recognition is only as important and you hinted at that in what you just said. At least for me, I I of course I love the recognition. Who wouldn't? But the recognition is to show forth the work. The recognition is to show forth the ministry. Yeah. And related to what you said, the recognition is to support those other people that are on the front lines working with the homeless, working with the hungry every day. Much of our work with the West Side Coalition for Housing, Hunger, and Health is to support all those frontline workers who are often getting beaten up, sometimes even literally, but certainly beaten up by the public and the press for trying to help people. And so anything we can do to support them and affirm their work, I'm there. I'm there. Wow. Mm. Well, another thing I, this reminds me of is, you know, when we encounter people, no one sh should be fully defined by who we experience at that moment, right? Because we all have pasts and futures and 
many things that um, that define us, and it is too easy to see someone at that at a particular stage in their life and assume that that's the sum of who they are. Exactly, exactly. And I, I usually start with this in relation to the homeless issue on our streets. If you or I had been on the streets for even a week, two weeks, not able to get adequate food, not able to get adequate sleep, not able to get our medications, we'd seem mentally ill too. Yeah. <laughs> we'd, we'd, seem, we'd seem like we were addicts too. And to make assumptions about the people we see, even the ones that fit our definition of crazy, whatever that is, that's a that's a leap that I, I, I caution myself and everyone else not to take. Because that, as you say, that may be, you know, an honored veteran who's down on his luck and uh, or many others. Yeah. Something else that I'm think I know that it's tempting to do this as you're, you know, you're going to be retiring in, in May and looking back at just some of the really interesting, phenomenal things that you've been involved with. Another thing that I think of when I think of you is, you know, the adage, bloom where you're planted. And I wonder if you have um, some advice or some just some some bits of wisdom from your experience. You know, when when seminarians end up in in calls, um, sometimes they don't end up where they might have thought they wanted to be, and not just seminarians, but any of us. Um, as this connects with with church or or just with other roles, what I don't know. What sort of what advice do you have um, for just being open to what God is calling us to do, even when sometimes we think, huh? <laughs> well, you know this is pretty personal with me since you and I know each other. And I thought I'd be finishing my career at Odyssey Networks in New York City. Mm -hmm. And then that job disappeared. And then I came to what in Lutheran terms, is a, is a small congregation. In California terms, it's a medium-sized congregation. <laughs> but, um, you know, I never thought that I'd have the privilege of doing what we've been able to do together here in these last eight years. Uh -huh. I mean, who would have thought, you know, again, who would have thought the recognition, the, the issue, and not just, not just the shelter, um, you know, um, the things we were able to do in the congregation, um, you know, and I often say, and I don't want to belittle any pastor's experience, but this work is not brain surgery. <laughs> it, this work is this work is being kind to people, and 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 I know some people get in situations where it's impossible. I I, I want to admit that, but you know, you preach a decent sermon, you're kind to people, it's going to go okay. <laughs> You know, it's it's going to go okay. People want to love their pastor. That's my experience, and we and I and my my spouse have been loved everywhere we've been. But people want to love their pastor, and yes, the church is in all kinds of issues. Um, you know, but the church is always dying and rising, and as you know well. And uh, so, I think 
finds a niche, you know, uh, you know, the homeless college students became our niche, but it's not our only niche. We have a, we have a hundred student school. We have, we have the 70 agencies coalition during COVID. We started a, a little food pantry on the corner, like the little libraries you see mm-hmm. are all around the country. And, the good news is the food pantry is emptied every day. The bad news is the food pantry oh. is emptied every day. Yeah. Um, you know, and to think there are hungry people in Santa Monica, California, uh, you know, um, that's really so, you know, find that niche. And here's what I've learned. And, and I knew it before I came here, but especially here two two things. When you do good work in the community as outreach, people come to your worshiping congregations. Hmm. Yeah. We have people who are members of Mount Olive because of the shelter, because of the coalition, because of the school. No doubt about it. They know this place serves the community and they come to worship. So this isn't just social ministry, you know, we're not doing we're not doing the worship of God thing. We're just out in the community. Like I said, we're not just a we're, you know, we're a social service agency. Uh-uh. It all flows together. And the other thing is you know, we, we, we're, we're in the midst of the Luke cycle in, uh, in lessons on Sunday mornings in many Christian churches. And have no fear. I, we need leaders, lay, and clergy that are not afraid. I mean, we took two-thirds of the pews out without a congregation vote. <laughs> because, because I had leaders that were brave. And maybe because at my age... I, I didn't give a rip in, in, a, in a positive way. I wasn't afraid. Well, all of a sudden, there's a huge children's area in our worship space, and there's children in it every, <laughs> every Sunday, lots of them. Sometimes more people in the children's area with the parents than there are in the rest of the, of the, of the sanctuary. Um, this doesn't happen by chance. You have to have the space you have to have the space to make it happen. It, it's not so. And so the either ors of ministry, I think, are the things that I've learned. It's not it's not do community service or do worship. Right. It's not take care of your building or take care of your community. It's both and. And if that sounds insurmountable, well, then find one or two things to do. Uh, you know, we don't do everything. I, you know, I'm I'm totally committed to to the refugee work, as you mentioned in the beginning. I'm on the President's Council for Lutheran Immigration and Refugee Services, and this congregation has raised a ton of money for the for LIRS. Even at with 230 members, we're one of their largest donor congregations in the country. But we don't we're not sponsoring refugee families. We don't have the we don't have the horses to do that. But we're doing what we can do. And and here's what happens. That's another great example, Katie. So all of a sudden, we became known as a congregation that was supporting Afghan refugee work. And I get an, I get an $8,000 contribution from an inactive member who I'm about to drop from the rules. Wow. And then I get a $6,000 contribution anonymously that I can't track down where it came from. Wow. So in two contributions, 14000 for LIRS that... Only became because we told the community what we were doing. So back to communication again, isn't it? Yeah. Tell tell the story. Tell the story. Tell the story. Uh, you know, and you know, um, 
and it is the old, old story of Jesus and his love. But, um, you know, but I think, you know, we keep telling the story and, you know, it's not all doom and gloom. You know, um, it, no, no. And, you know, even through COVID, we're Katie, we're now reaching more with our worship than than this congregation has reached in 30 years. You know, we're back to the numbers of when they were the largest ALC congregation west of the Mississippi years ago. <laughs> and, you know, I mean, and that's all through electronic stuff. And, and you know, we're not alone in that, but we've it's kept up here, which has been really wonderful. There's something else encouraging, I find, about what you said about we don't do everything. Is You know, it's sometimes with, with individuals and in our congregations, we need to remember that sometimes it's okay to pick a few things to do well, or depending on, you know, if you're a really small congregation to say, you know what, we're going to do this, you know, two things well or what, whatever. And also that it's okay to recognize that just because you your congregation might have been known for certain things for a number of years, that if that changes, it's okay you you know, in the way that we have phases in our lives, um, congregations are also these living entities. And it, it's okay to say, well, we're we're called to have a different emphasis because the neighborhood around us uh, is changing or because of something happening, you know, to the members. And there's a certain there's a certain relief to that to saying, that's fine. You know, you don't always have to go on the reputation for things that you used to do. You, it's it's okay. I've, I'm encouraged to hear to hear this. Yeah, that's really true. When I was starting out in the ministry, a, 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 a wise older pastor said, Eric, it's about, pastoring is about benign neglect. <laughs> <laughs> and by that he meant, you're going to spend your time on this issue sometimes, and the other ones you're going to let go. And if that, and that's okay, because that's how it works, because you can't do everything. Um, and the other thing that's been the blessing here is I can't help everybody at the door. But I've got Darcy Niva and the West Side Coalition headquartered here. So I've got resources for these people that I can just say, boy, I'm going to have Darcy call you. Yeah. Or can, or can you uh, come back when Darcy's in the office and, and Darcy can then call up a local agency and, with, and within an hour we can have a mental health specialist here. Wow. Now that's ideal. It doesn't always happen that way. And right now they're overwhelmed, but it, that, it has happened that way. We've been able to help people that way because of the connections that the congregation has established with these community agencies. We've been able to serve many more people than a congregation of 230 could ever dream of. Um, about before COVID, about five thousand people through this through this place every week. Um, so, you know, uh, well, with the school and every day and all the other things that they told me that actually that was before I came. They said that I didn't believe them, but I, I it's true. <laughs> um, and uh, and that's the other thing, Katie. I didn't do this on my own, and I didn't do it. I didn't start from scratch. My predecessors helped get it started for sure. Yeah. You mentioned bravery, and it's interesting because I've been, <laughs> the word bravery is something that I've been thinking about while you've been talking. So I'm so <laughs> it's just so interesting that you mentioned that. It's as a as a progressive Christian, it is something that I think about 
a lot and how tricky it can be for church leaders who are trying to keep everyone happy, <laughs> which is yeah. difficult. Um, and I'm also, I have the words of Andrew Taylor Troutman, um, a Presbyterian pastor, kind of echoing in my in my head right now too. His, his main advice to seminarians was be bold. Um, and I think it's, it's of course easier said than done, but um, anyway, this is another kind of thread, I think, through your ministry of being able to see when it was time to do or say something that was bold or brave. I think so, and um, I think it is it is an important th- thing. The 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 pew removal is a great example. We I knew I had the votes if we went to a congregational meeting to for that have it approved. But why why be hard on the people that would have voted no? Yeah. I mean, so I took some grief because we didn't have that vote, but um, it allowed us to move ahead. Now, so. We probably lost one family with the pew removal. We did lose one large family with the pew removal. And we probably lost one other couple because of the shelter. Well, yeah. And then last year we averaged 195 at worship. And when I started, it was 98. So there it is. You know, I mean, and and, uh, these people were replaced by other, by many many more. And, uh, so a couple of weeks ago, a man stopped by the door. Uh, of course, with a mask on, I didn't know who he was. And he introduced himself and said his name was JJ. And he had been a member here in the 1970s. Okay. And he just came to check the place out. And he said, and when I was here in the 1970s, I didn't support the congregation well enough financially. And I'm here to give you a gift. Oh, okay. So I said, would you like to see, would you like to look around? You have time, sure. So I showed him the shelter, which he got very excited about. I showed him the church with the children's area and the pews gone. I was a little afraid of that because he was obviously here when it was full of pews and full of people. Okay. He thought he thought that was great. The school, everything else. He sat down, wrote a check, gave it to me in an envelope, and left. Ten thousand dollars. Wow. Yeah, and uh, um, you know. Now, did the tour influence what he was going to do? I have no idea. It sure didn't hurt. Uh, and, uh, you know, um, and now, you know, I don't want to be naive for the younger pastor. I, I've been at this a while. I've been here a while, you know, but that's the other thing. You know, take a breath. These things take these things, you know, relationships take time. Yes. Um, you know, I could get away, so to speak, with some of the big changes we made, partly because of my age and experience, and partly because they knew I loved them. Yeah, you know, and and and, and uh, you know, um, now here in Southern California, in California generally, we don't have to apologize for our progressive Christian views. Um, and and but again, I've gotten more unabashed about that, Katie. Over time, people come to we get visitors all the time. I mean, we're in a tourist town. We advertise a lot in various ways. Somebody comes in, and especially if they see Evangelic on our name, and I usually tell them as I'm talking to them, if it seems appropriate, I'm telling them, you know, if you're uncomfortable with women and gay people in leadership, this might not be the place for you. <laughs> you're welcome here. You're welcome here. That's not the point. Yeah. But yeah. 
we believe in those things. As a matter of fact, we're not going to debate those things. Those are not debatable here anymore. That's the other, I guess, the rather bravery thing saying, you know, from my point of view, the ELCA has made its, has made its decisions on those things. We're not debating abortion here. Yeah. You know, we're not debating the role of women. We're not debating women clergy. We're not debating gay clergy. We've, we've had that conversation and we've made those decisions. And, and so, you know, this is what we are. There are still places where you can have the opposite view. Although I don't think there's any, I think there's no future in the next 10 to 20 years for congregation, Christian congregations or, 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 you know, Christian or other faiths actually that don't affirm the women, role of women that don't affirm gay, gays and lesbian people in leadership. Because, because the the you know the the newer generations won't put up with it. Um, I guess they'll always be right wing Christi- Christians, um, but they're going to get smaller and smaller. That's my positive view. I'm an optimist, as you well know too. So, um, you know, as discouraging as it can be sometimes, um, you know, old white men are going to die. You know, I mean, I'm one of them too. But I mean. <laughs> You know that you know the, the, some changes are coming, whether people like it or not. And most of what I see coming in those changes, I like. Um, you know, I think that is that is a great encouraging note to end on. Um, change that you like, and that is encouraging, and that it's it's good to hear right now. <laughs> <laughs> no, I am. I am. I, well, I've always been, but I am upbeat about the Christian Church. I'm. A, I'm upbeat about the ELCA. We're, we're, it's. It's not easy now. Um, but you know, I see hopeful signs uh, all around me, and they're there if we want to look for them. And and what do we really want to focus on? Do we want to focus on the 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 unhopeful signs? Well, that's that's pretty. That would be very. That wouldn't. That was not much of a life. <laughs> so, and um, I mean, look at all the good that's come out of the pandemic. Oh yes. What is it? Yeah. What is it now? Ninety percent of congregations are online, and before that, it was what five percent if we were lucky. And this congregation will never give up their online worship. I'm certain now after our experience, we have people watching our worship service, participating in our worship service from all over the country. And then the whole thing. And, and yes, we could have other conversations. I know we want to draw this to a close, but you know, we now have members all over the country. Some have moved away, but because of online, they can still be, what is church membership? And I, you know, I'm, I'm not one that says you have to be in the neighborhood or, well, I gather in the neighborhood. What's the neighborhood? Oh, okay. Yeah. It's a big neighborhood. It's a big neighborhood now. Yeah. It's a big neighborhood now. So, which is also kind of bringing us back to hospitality. It's <laughs> also kind of bringing us back. How can you be hospitality? My wife and I have always done hospitality in our home. We this congregation does hospitality well at worship and and and, and in its facilities for children and homeless and and the needy uh, and the, and people hungry. You know, those are all aspects of hospitality, and they all they all stem out of the our absolute certainty that God is in love with every single one of us. Mm. Yes. Oh, thank you, Eric. Thank you for your time, and I wish you all the best this spring with the parish and your transition into the adventure of retirement. 
You've been listening to The Seminary Explorers. I'm Katie Giebenhain. My guest has been Reverend Eric Schaefer. Learn more about his current call at www.mountolivelutheranchurch.org. And learn more about the homeless ministry by and for college students at www.s4sla.org. Thank you, Katie. You have been listening to The Seminary Explorers, a production of United Lutheran Seminary with campuses in Gettysburg, Pennsylvania and Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. We invite you to visit our website at unitedlutheranseminary.edu. All opinions expressed on this program are not necessarily those of United Lutheran Seminary or the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America.